Thank you, Lauren. Yesterday, shortly after lunch, uh, my son and I and uh, Nathan Waters stood outside and we watched on our phones the, the live feed of the Falcon rocket taking off uh, from Florida. And we actually was able to look and pinpoint and see the vapor trail. We never really could pick out the dot. My eyes are just not that good. But we could see the vapor trail as it began to go up and go across. And we watched it online. And I don't know about you, I watched some of the documentary the other night as they have been working and progressing with this whole thing to get back in space the first time since 2011. And it's kind of a microcosm of my life. As a four-year-old, almost five, I can remember very vividly that sitting in front of a black and white TV and watching uh, as Neil Armstrong put his foot on the moon. And unlike others, uh, I do believe it actually happened. Uh, yesterday left some questions because it was so neat to watch in the documentary how they were able to blast it off and practice ejecting uh, the, the actual capsule that would hold human beings. It, it was made to where uh, before it went into space, it could be ejected and it would deploy parachutes and land safely. After we had saw what had happened with the Challenger, I remember it vividly in Columbia and other things like that. I can remember going to Cape Canaveral. We called it Cape Kennedy back then and actually touring the memorial where those astronauts uh, that were locked into that capsule when it caught on fire and they perished. And we saw that memorial. We were actually able, and this is dating myself, we went in to tour it, and when we went in to tour the actual space center, there stood the first space shuttle before it had ever been launched in the early to mid-70s. We were able to see that space shuttle. And you think about how we have progressed from fighting over who would be the first man on the moon. We, of course, fought and lost the battle to be the first into space. And you know, the first into space was a Russian cosmonaut. And as that Russian entered into space and began to uh, orbit around the earth, he made the statement, he said, I'm here in space and I'm looking out among the cosmos and the heavens and I do not see God. And I'm very thankful that in our country, removed 51 years from that time we went and put a man on the moon, we still issued the exact same words that they did then when they blasted off and we read in the Scripture when we're encouraging someone to go in the power of the Lord, they said, Godspeed. Godspeed, Falcon Rocket. Godspeed to it, Bob and Doug's great adventure as they went off into space to the space station. But then I thought about this. We can engineer and design a rocket to shoot men into space now to where the 
the capsule can separate and come back safely, where even the first stage that got them up there now deploys and comes back onto a drone ship and lands itself safely. And I still got some questions, isn't it? Amazing how the camera feed went out on it right before it happened. That may have happened on a studio set, I don't know. But here's the deal, all of that engineering and two men orbiting right now and sometime today will dock with the International Space Station and stay for a month. Yet all over America, neighbors can't get along. Buildings are burned. Mayors plead. Police officers and National Guard and firemen pray for their lives. I saw yesterday where they had to be a police blockade to protect the firefighters that were putting out a fire in the neighborhood of the people who set the fire. Now I want you to hear me today as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. This is a very solemn and very serious subject. In this message, this day, and in this series, we are preaching on burdened to build. And we're looking at the children of Israel as they go back into Israel and they build that wall, that great building feat of rebuilding the walls in 52 days. We read Ezra where they lay the foundation and the old men wept and the young men shouted. In chapter 2, they cry, rise up and build. We look at the building blocks for God's people to do God's work, God's way, in God's time. Today, I want to remind you of something as we remember John Newton, the author of the most famous spiritual hymn possibly of all time, Amazing Grace, wrote this in his latter days, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. If we are to truly worship today, and when I say today, I mean literally today, and then today in the realm of right now in our lives. If we are to truly worship today, we must see God for who He is. Today, we will be looking at the fact of the God of our burden. The God of our burden. Today we'll take time to remember. We remember where 2,800 years ago, Jerusalem was burned and the temple destroyed due to the sins of the people 2,870 years ago. They burnt the temple. They destroyed it and tore down the walls, burning the gates. Still... God burdened and blessed them to rebuild. Amen? We've seen that. Today, even today, we celebrate in remembrance of Pentecost Sunday. 
40 days after Christ had died and risen from the grave, dying for the sins of mankind, the church began. As they stood on that Mount of Olives, we call it the Mount of Pentecost, where Jesus had ascended, and that angel said, as you see him go, you will see him return. And they went in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see the Lord blessed and burdened men who had just days before denied, cursed, and deserted Him. Today, today we remember the actions sweeping our nation and world even now. Burning cities and the injustices toward God and man that we currently watch on our streets. We not only remember, we must reflect. Reflect on our own sin. It's easy to look around and point our fingers at this group and that group and this color and that employee, that public servant. It's easy to point fingers. But we must reflect on our own sin. Red Pat said it is a tremendous moment in a Christian's life when he can honestly look up into the face of God and say, Yes, Lord, you are right, and I am wrong. That's the greatest moment of a person's life. And today in America, and especially in the church of the living God, we must rise above those things by coming down to our knees before God and confessing, you are right, and we are wrong. Warren Wiersbe broke down three truths in this chapter, and I want to borrow the, that three points that he gave. The greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the grace of God. I worked, I promise you, to try to come up with my own, but it don't get, come any better than what Warren Wiersbe wrote. And so we're going to borrow those, those three head, headings and then look at the depth of it. Look with me in chapter 9, verse 1. Now in the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. They were broken. They were humbled. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. This is symbolic in our lives of separating ourselves from the sin and depravity of the world. And it's God's children coming out from among them and being separate for such a time as this. And they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They didn't stand and say, oh God, thank goodness I'm not like those out there in the street burning their neighborhood. Oh God, thank, thank you that I'm not like that police officer that broke the trust of the public by doing what he did. Oh God, I'm glad I'm not like that much. No, that's not what they said. They said, oh God, we confess our sins and the iniquities of our fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. Not 40 minutes. Not a fourth of an hour. A fourth of a day. I don't know how long I could stay pastor if we tried something like this. 
because our attention span is done in 280 characters. You hear me, young people? I'm going to tell you something. You'll find no spiritual enrichment off social media. I'm talking about lasting stuff. I don't care all the cute little quips and good moral stuff. I'm telling you, we've got to get back to the Word of God. I saw someone even this morning said, I'll see you maybe in 30 days, but I've got to get away from all this negativity. And I may do something or say something I shouldn't, and so I'm setting it all aside for 30 days so that I can see God for who He is. Listen, we must see the God of our burden. The burden does not matter. And just skip the top because I messed up and missed it. I was so ready with a full. And, and, and listen, there is joy when we see the God of our burden. But notice with me today the greatness of God. The greatness of God in this text. First of all, the reflection of ourselves before Him. If we're going to see how great God is, then we've got to see how ungreat we are. But all of us, I don't care who you are, there are times in our lives where we feel like, man, I'm it right now. I have achieved. I have attained. I have arrived. Look at me in all the pomp and circumstance. And there are great days that we ought to celebrate what God is doing in our life. But there's never a day, never ever a day where we can say that we have achieved the greatness that is God. Even the Apostle Paul said, I have not yet attained. I keep pressing. I keep moving. I keep going forward toward the prize of the mark of the high calling that is in God. The reflection of ourselves. Notice what they said. They said we have sinned and our fathers committed iniquities. And they stood in their place and they read. Then verse 4, Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Joshua and Benai and Kadmiel and Shebaniah and Bunai and Sherebiah, Benai and Chenani, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Last week my daddy said, Why would you say just all them names? Why didn't you read them? So today I read them, daddy. Then the Levites, they all, these men came together and said, Thou, even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preserve them all. And the host of heaven worship thee. We sang just a while ago about the voice of many angels singing what? Worthy is the Lamb. Well, I'm going to tell you something. It's one thing for angels to say something, but it's a different thing for those who have been blood-bought to cry out, You are my God. You have redeemed me. Save me. Lord, forgive me and change me. All the greatness of God is a reflection of ourselves before Him that in us there is nothing good. Nothing. Nothing. You cannot achieve. You cannot be good enough. There may be somebody here today. Hear me. There may be somebody here today in, in, the, in the comfort of attending here every week 
They're in the comfort of going to a Sunday school class of friends, of living in the Bible Belt and living in a relatively spiritual area. You may have come to an unspoken, unconscious conclusion that you're all right, but there's never been a moment where you truly were honest with yourself before God and said, I am a great sinner and you are a great Savior. That's the only way that John Newton could write Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see. If you really want to challenge, you want to read something really cool, then I challenge you to go home, not right now, go home and Google all the verses of Amazing Grace. And read all of them. Knowing the last verse that we sing when we've been there 10,000 years, John Newton didn't write that one. That was, as we would say, a scribal entry later on. But he did write the first 12 verses. And it's a monologue of God's grace through his life from that saving moment through the sanctification that leads up looking forward to that great day of glorification. Read all the verses. and See that great story. God's amazing grace. Oh, the greatness of God comes in its fullness when we reflect on ourselves before him. I've seen some pretty big deals in my life. I'm going to tell you, when we used to go to the pastor's conference, and I just happened to be friends with a pastor in my association that was best friends with Jerry Vines. And this guy, I mean, they were all on first name basis. They were all muckety-mucks in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we would go out to eat, and Danny said, come on, boys, y'all come eat with us. And we would go, and we'd, he said, we're going to go down here, and we're going to eat at the Red Lobster. And we'd go to the Red Lobster, and we would sit down at the table with Danny, and in would walk Junior Hill, and he would sit down, that great evangelist, and in would walk uh, Al Moeller, or in would walk someone that was preaching on there and and then we would sit down and there would be Warren Wearsby and there would be Norman Geisler and there would be these other guys and then one day we're standing inside the church and we're just standing around yucking it up and in out of out of the corner of my eye I saw something and all of a sudden I saw Danny just kind of get shoved and I'm like what in the world and I turn around and look and Adrian Rogers had just shoved him and he they always gave each other a hard time Adrian Rogers played football in high school and may even in college when he played, when he went to Stetson. And he was a, you, you may not see it when you watch it on TV, but he was still a man's man into his seventies and just standing there. And I'm I'm like, it's Adrian Rogers. And everybody's running up getting their Bible signed and in walks Jerry Falwell and these great men, but all of them would agree with one thing. They were great sinners. And Jesus was a great Savior. That none, none of those guys, the, all but one that I named, is now with the Lord. I heard Adrian Rogers preach his last message at the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville. 
before he died with cancer. Jerry Falwell with the Lord. Norman Geisler just recently. His protege, Ravi Zacharias, just a week ago. Now with the Lord. These great men, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, everyone with the Lord. Except for one, Elijah. He's with the Lord. He just didn't die to get there yet. You see, we must reflect on it. But then the rehearsal of His Word. You know, and I don't mean this condescending because I'm as guilty as anybody. But if there's anything that a pastor should never have to do is prod Christians to read their Bible. I just don't, I just can't, it just gets so boring. You don't have life. There's no reason to be here without this blessed book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't know if you realize it, but the same thing that you may hold in your lap today, or in, in forgetfulness, in, in how we have went through these changes, that you forgot to bring it, I don't know. You may read a little bit here, read a little bit there, but I don't know if you realize that when it is inspired, infallible, and inerrant, when God spoke it through the leadership of the Holy Spirit on men like you, it was just as real as His voice when He said, let there be light. And God created the heavens and the earth. That's how important the Word of God is. All I do is get up here and read it and try to draw a light to it. But I didn't write it. And I can't make it better. That's the problem with some preachers. We want to make it new somehow. And so we come up with false doctrines and we come up with things like prosperity gospel and we want people to feel good because we want to draw a crowd and bring a lot of money so we can make more money and build bigger buildings. But the truth is, the Word of God is convicting and overpowering and it's true and we must rehearse that in our lives if we're going to see the God of our burden. If you're really going to be on fire for God, then your nose will be in this book. I mean reading it front to back. And when you get to the back, you start over. And, and, and listen, there are a gazillion ways. You can read it chronologically. chronologically. Go buy your chronological Bible. You can read the New Testament first, then read the Old Testament. You can skip around, read the Gospels, then go read poetry, and then you can go read the epistles, then you can go read the history books. It doesn't matter. Just get in the book and read, and it is alive and it will speak to you. Then, as we look at the God of our burden, we see the goodness of God. God is great. God is good. We grew up hearing that, right? Problem is, it just become rote, becomes repetitious. It's, I, I would get aggravated as a coach when it was just part of the practice to say the Lord's Prayer, which is not the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. He just modeled it for us. Jesus has never had to ask repentance of sin. I'll never forget hearing a professional athlete, professional football player, very famous, and they were all milling around and it was time for the game to start. 
And he called them together, screaming at them, and said, get over here. Let hear this. He said, get over here so we can say, and he took the Lord's name in vain. And he said, get over here so we can do the blankety-blank Lord's Prayer. It was no different than going through Oklahoma drills. It was no different than doing your practice warm-ups. It was just part of the warm-up. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to quote the Word of God, it ought to mean something. We must rehearse His Word in our life. It said not only did they pray for a quarter of the day, they read the Word of God for a quarter of the day. And by the way, if anybody's wondering, they had babies there that day too. So that don't bother me. So relax, mamas and daddies, it's all drawn up. You know what that is? You know what that is to me, honestly? That is the sound of life in Eastside. That's the sound of life. There's a lot of churches that would give everything they have to hear that in the halls of their church. The life of newborn. I'm going to tell you, that blesses the Lord's heart. It blesses this preacher's heart. See him run up and down. Thou, that's life. I've had children. They're sitting right there and thank God. Nobody said, oh, don't bring them here. And here today, Becky's at home and not feeling well. But my children got up on their own, got ready, and are sitting there worshiping the Lord today. Thank God for you. They look cute today, too. They match. Ethan will kill me for that. And he's old enough now and big enough he can. Listen, the goodness of God. Look, this is this will bless you. Said in verse 7, Thou art the Lord, the God. That would do us well every morning to get up and pray, wouldn't it? Thou art the Lord, the God. Before you ever start anything, when you look out and we say, oh man, what a beautiful morning. Before you say that, say, thou art the Lord, the God. What a beautiful morning you've made. When we get up, Steve, and we go out and the light's breaking, we blast off and we're sitting down there. There's nothing more beautiful than to sit on a big, beautiful lake as the sun's coming up and beautiful weather. We ought to be saying, thou art the Lord, the God, who created the fish and the water and the sky and everything else. To sit on the beach and watch the sun come up and the sun go down. Thou art the Lord, the God. Who did choose Abram? And broughtest him forth out of your the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham and found his heart faithful before thee and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it, I say, to his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. And didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea and showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and on all his servants and on all the people of his land. For thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them. So did thou get thee a name as it is this day. What is that name? I am. And thou did divide the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. Y'all read that, right? 
God brought them through the midst of the Red Sea. Not over it, not around it, not under it, but through it on dry ground. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone in the mighty waters. Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar and in the night by a pillar of fire to give them light in the day wherein they should go. Thou came down also upon Mount Sinai and spakest with them from heaven and gave them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and made known unto them thy holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. Listen, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I can get to Leviticus and Numbers and it gets heavy on me too, but you know what he just said? He said, God gave it. You better read it and honor it. And gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give him. Has God ever made a promise and not fulfill it? That would make him a liar. And if he was a liar, he wasn't God. But if God is great, then he must be good. And if he's good, then we've got to realize when we read this as they did, that where God guides, he provides. Do you believe that? It's easy until God leads you in a path that you question Him on. And you're thinking, God, I don't know how you're going to get through this. How are we going to get through this pandemic? How's our country going to survive this? The only way we'll survive it and thrive is under His power and under His guidance. The Bible says that God exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to all people. God lifts up and takes down kings, for He is God, and we are not. Where God guides, He provides. That's with jobs, with family, with finances, with relationships, with emotions, with mental status, with physical illnesses, whatever. However... Where God guides, He provides. And that is, you say, that's too simplistic. That's where faith meets reality. Is the simplicity of knowing He's God and we're not. And we, the only thing we can do is trust Him. Because I'm going to tell you, you can stay up all night long from now on and wring your hands and worry yourself sick and you'll not change a thing. A leopard can't change his spots. And you can't change your outcome. But you can trust the one who can. Listen, not only does He provide where He guides, but where He pushes, He protects. God pushed them. They cried, oh Lord, we're suffering in Egypt. And no doubt, they just wanted it easy just to get out. Because as soon as they got out and things got tough, what did they do? They wanted to go back. They forgot how bad it was. Now, I'll tell you something. I get on the young people a lot of times. I did about social media. So now I'm going to get on to all of you that's my age and up. Or around my age. So, Steve, you're included in this too. You're close enough. We stand around and we pontificate with young people. And we'll say, back in my day. And we embellish. And we make it sound better than it was. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful we have 
this thing called a dishwasher. Because when I was growing up, my mother had one. It's called Matt. And she had one that would dry. It's called Art. I love automated dishwashers. I love that. I love remote controls. Because you see, back in the day when we was watching that, that black and white and Neil Armstrong, and then we got our first big console. I mean, it was bigger than a casket. Thing was huge. It took eight grown men to bring that thing in the house. Daddy sold his car to be able to buy it. Brought that thing in, and we had color TV. But we had this thing they called rabbit ear antennas. Any of you ever had to hold that thing? Daddy said, go burn just that thing. He said, hold it, hold it right there. No, no, by the time you'd go to sit back down, no, go back up, and you'd be moving the antenna around. And then we'd take Reynolds wrap and wrap it around the top. And I mean, we was, I love cable TV. I love satellite TV. I love being able to watch some of the things that I couldn't have watched any other way. I love a lot of the modern conveniences. I love those things. But the truth is, some of the happiest times in our lives is when we had the least. And our, our focus was on what matters most. Talked to a lot of couples who would say they have worked hard and they've moved up and they may have rented or had this little bitty cracker box house when they first got married and their babies were born and they'll say those were the happiest days of their life before it was so cluttered with all the other time wasters and things. Listen, where God pushes he protects. They went out and they said, oh God, what are you going to do? He gave them water to drink. He gave them food to eat. And the clothes on their back, ladies, there were no belts. There wasn't a Walmart. There wasn't Neiman Marcus. There was nothing to shop for online. And the clothes they had on their back when they left was the clothes on their back when they went into the promised land 40 years later. And we complain about things not lasting. They don't. Other day, my back window, my truck stopped working. I said, ah, you know, truck's getting older, no big deal. Less than a week, the other one quit working. And as long as you use something in a man-made, it's going to break. It's going to break. Deal with it. The older you get, it don't rattle you as bad because you kind of expect it at any time. But nothing God does breaks. God does it right every time. And then the grace of God. Look at verse 17. Or verse 16. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hardened or hearkened not to thy commandments. He talks about this in Hebrews 3. This is the day of provocation when they provoked God. When they had that they built the calf out of gold. When they rebelled when they, manna was not good enough anymore and they wanted meat, when, they, when Moses got mad and he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, the days of provocation, it said they refused to obey. Neither were they mindful 
of your wonders, O God, that thou didst among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. Listen to this. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And you forsook them not. Now for the sake of time, it just goes through all the storms and the trials and they're forgetting Him. And I want you to see with me, the grace of God, number one, is unmerited. There's nothing the Hebrew children did that deserved God's grace. Nothing. Nothing. God chose them because He chose to choose them. They didn't choose God. He chose them. And I want you to understand today, you don't come to God when you get ready and how you want to come to God. God chooses you. God calls you. You must obey when God calls you, but you don't decide. You're not God. God chose them. It's unmerited. It said that God multiplied them. He gave them a good spirit to instruct them and withheld not manna from their mouth. Gave them water for their thirst. Though they had provoked Him, though they had rebelled, God kept providing and providing and providing for them. And one day, though Moses didn't get to go in with them, Moses led them up to the brink. And He took Him up on the mountain and showed it to Him. But he used Joshua to go in and he took them in. I've been there at the head of the Dead Sea where God brought the Hebrew children across the Jordan into the Promised Land. There just above Jericho. What an awesome view to know what God did because it's unmerited. Is there a place God brought you across the river that you realize you don't deserve it? Listen, there was, I was reading in a book and it started asking all these questions. When you say, you know, you're right with God, well, do you embellish? Do you have a bad spirit towards somebody? Are you mad about something? Do you envy somebody? Do you think yourself... And it went on with about 28. And the more I read it, the more I wanted to throw the book out the window. Because the more convicting it was. Because it got very personal when it gets personal. Because we can go to church and we can leave and we say, oh, we sing about things. But if we will stop and read God's Word and pray like they did, God will begin to reveal those secret hidden sins, that unrepentant sin in our lives that only you and Him know about. That's where revival happens. When we see the greatness of God, when we recognize and honor the goodness of God, and when we truly allow God to pour out His grace, that unmerited favor upon us. And you know this grace of God often goes unseen. He said, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Verse 30 said, Yet many years... Did you forbear them? Forty. 
and testified against them by their spirit in thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear. God would send prophets and say, turn back to God, and what did they do to the prophets? They killed them. Yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the lands. How and why did Israel end up in Persia? Because they were in Babylon. How did they end up in Babylon? Because they would not listen to the prophets. They would not listen to Isaiah. They would not listen to Jeremiah. They would not listen. And they ended up in bondage. Yet God in His grace brought them back. And now they're remembering. He said in verse 31, Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Often His grace goes unseen. It's hard to look at the world today and think grace. But it is only by the grace of God that our whole country is not burning down. It's only by the grace of God there's not a full onslaught race war. How many of you remember the, the genocides of Chechnya and Kosovo? How many of you remember the, the great racial, and really it was tribal wars of Rwanda, where they were hacking and killing each other, two tribes against one another in those African countries, killing hundreds of thousands of each other with machetes, killing them all over the place. And now, in our day, we even have those who say the Holocaust didn't happen. But it did. And it didn't just happen by the hands of Germany. It happened at the hands of Stalin. And it wasn't just Jews. It was gypsies and Christians and those that had mental illnesses. Those today who are aborted by the millions. Not just because they're not male in China, but simply because we say a woman has a choice in America. Listen, church, I respect and am concerned, and we're still doing this the way we're doing it. I am not going to be ignorant, but I'm here to tell you that we better keep our focus on what matters most, that in our country, COVID-19 doesn't come close to the deaths inflicted by alcohol, by racial tensions, by family crimes against one another, domestic violence, and above all, the slaughter of the unborn. Don't lose sight of that. But yet God's grace stands true. And finally, it's carelessly abused. Look in verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. Parent, mom, dad, you, somewhere along the line, if your children have gotten older, Somewhere along the line, your heart has ached 
because you have done everything you can for your child, nevertheless, they rebel. You can't make them do right. But I got news for you. There was probably sometime in your life you did the same. Whether hidden or very obvious. And I can say for a fact somewhere in your life as a human being you've done that against God. Because if everyone was doing right all the time or at least most of the time or even some of the time there would be, rebel- there'd be revival in our land. I want you to understand something as we close today. As we look at a burden to build, we must realize that there is no burden that matters if God is not the God of the burden. The grace of God, the greatness and goodness of God. May this be our prayer. Verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, this is a prayer, they cried. The terrible God who keeps covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee. Thou hast came upon us on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. Howbeit, you are just in all that is brought upon us. God, we deserve this. For you have done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, or our priests. Our fathers, they have not kept the law, nor hearkened unto your covenant and commandments and your testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, And in thy great goodness that thou gavest them. And in the large and the fat land which you gave before them. And neither turned they from their wicked works. If there's anything we ought to have learned in the last couple of months, that God can bring America to its knees overnight. Behold, we are servants this day. And for the land that you gave unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. Listen, we must look out at what's going on in our country and in our land and in our state and in our cities. And we must say, God, I'm a servant here. Use me. Alan Redpath wrote, I believe that God is more ready to forgive the sins of His people than a mother is to snatch a little child out of the fire. But the sin God never forgives is the sin we will not confess. God is God. God is great. God is good. God's full of grace. But we, we are sinners without hope and help apart from the grace of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today, May our hearts be focused. 
Maybe it's in this moment right now. Maybe it's when you leave and get in the quietness of your home. Maybe it's tonight when everyone's going to bed and it's just you and the Lord. And through the reading of God's Word and a very focused time of prayer, there's confession made. You say, God, I have failed the grace of God. Lord, I acknowledge You are great. You're good. You have provided. You have guided. You have protected me in the face of great adversity. Wouldn't you admit, church, God's protected us? Protected Claxton, Evans County? God's protected us. May we acknowledge His greatness, His goodness. But more than anything, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, be able to go to bed tonight and say with your heart, Lord, thank You for saving me. The only way that can happen is through repentance and acknowledging that He is the Savior in whom you have great need. As we close in prayer, may it be a time of reflection. May we remember what God did for those who had rejected Him and brought Him back in to rebuild the walls. May we remember how God used Peter, one who denied Him three times to preach the first message on that day of Pentecost. May you remember how God has brought you through the storm and forgiven you and made you what you are today. May we pray together. Father in heaven, as we close this time, Lord, we stand in need of your touch. Father, may chapter 9 be a focus of our hearts and our lives. May we through reading this word realize our need to fall on our knees and pray, God, forgive me, make me, mold me, use me, Lord, that we be your servants in this land, in this church, in our families, and on our jobs. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us. Thank you for providing for us and protecting us when we did not deserve it. Lord, saving us when we did nothing to deserve it and never will. Lord, may we acknowledge that we're all sinners. And Lord, by Your grace, we are saved. And if there are those under the sound of my voice, Lord, they cannot escape Lord, the power of Your Spirit, I pray that You convict and convince. And I pray that lives be forever changed today by Your greatness, guided by Your goodness, and directed by Your grace. Lord, bless our country. Help us. This is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.